0: I'm Chris Epting, and this is Roadside Baseball, the podcast. Meet the Mets, meet the Mets, step right up and meet the Mets. Bring your kitty, bring your wife. Guarantee you have the time of your life because the Mets are really rocking the ball. to meet the New York. Hello, everybody. This is Lindsay Nelson at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles, California, welcoming you to another doubleheader brought to you by... That classic New York Mets theme song in honor of our guest today, who who also grew up a Met fan like I did. And I want to tell you, I got to see some um, really great Mets memorabilia in the last few days up in Cooperstown at the Baseball Hall of Fame where I went to speak about roadside baseball and had a really great time. My son Charlie was with me and some great old friends from high school and grade school. And it was a really terrific uh, adventure. If you have not been uh, to Cooperstown either ever or recently as always highly recommended you go it really is uh almost indescribable in terms of what you can wander around and find, almost by accident, in that spectacular museum. And, you know, I was looking for Tommy Agee's glove from the 1969 World Series, and, of course, that's there, along with lots of other things from Nolan Ryan and Tom Seaver and other Mets. But but beyond that, it really is a, uh, a special place to visit. And I was thinking while I was up there, one artifact that will not be there is something called the Hall Ball. And if you don't know about the Hall Bowl, I'm sure if you're a baseball fan, you're at least somewhat familiar with it. It's uh, It all has to do with a gentleman named Ralph Carhart, who's today's guest on Roadside Baseball, the podcast. I met Ralph uh, not too long ago at the Baseball Reliquary Inductions out here in Pasadena, California. And Ralph was awarded the Hilda Award in honor of the great Hilda Chester, a woman who used to ring her bell famously back at Ebbets Field in Brooklyn. And the award is given each year to a fan that... that upholds uh, the, the memories and history of the game and, and does something special, which Ralph certainly has. Now, if you don't know about the Hall Ball, we're going to be talking today. Ralph has actually written a book about about the Hall Ball. and I'm going to read you uh, a little blurb here that's on Amazon. You can pre-order the book already. It's called The Hall Ball One Fan's Journey to Unite Cooperstown Immortals with a Single Baseball. And it says here, rescued in 2010 from the small creek that runs next to Doubleday Field in Cooperstown, New York, a simple baseball turned into an epic quest that spanned the united states and beyond for eight years the hall ball went on a journey to have its picture taken with every member of the baseball hall of fame both living and deceased the goal to enshrine the first crowdsourced artifact ever donated to the hall part travelogue part baseball history, part photo journal. This book tells the full story for the first time. Their narratives that accompany the ball's odyssey are as funny and moving as any in the history of the game, unquote. And the book comes out early next year. And so that's what Ralph did. He and his wife were up in Cooperstown. They found this baseball in a creek right by uh, the field up there next to Double A Field. And it inspired him to embark on this journey to track down all living Hall of Famers. And for those Hall of Famers who are deceased, he photographed the Ball by their gravesite. So he completed this process. He um, submitted the ball uh, to the to the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, and they did not accept it uh, for reasons that have not really been laid out yet. I assume those will be in the book. But from there, um, you know, Ralph took took the news as well as you can take something like that. I mean, again, he'd put a lot of time, energy, a lot of money, a lot of miles into this project. And he then formed an alliance with Terry Cannon from the Baseball Reliquary. And I have to say the highlight of the uh, induction ceremony was learning that the ball will now be kept by the Baseball Reliquary and put on display out here in Southern California from time to time, which is certainly um, a wonderful honor. I know that Ralph appreciated that. And it's a way for people to be able to come and see the ball in its element, surrounded by other wonderful, historic, quirky artifacts. And so I wanted to talk to Ralph about the book, about the project. It really is a very unique project that garnered all kinds of press and attention as he was traveling the country and beyond to get this ball uh, in the hands and next to all of the Hall of Famers. It's interesting, when, when we met in Pasadena, just to hold the ball, which I which he allowed me to do, and anybody can do it who was around. He's very generous like that. You do kind of feel the the palpable uh, strength of that ball, where it's been, who's touched it. There is something very unique about it. And so with that, here's my conversation with Ralph Carhart, uh, father of the Hall Ball and author of the upcoming book, The Hall Ball, One Fan's Journey to Unite Cooperstown Immortals with a Single Baseball. Ralph, first of all, thanks a lot for joining me today. I really enjoyed hanging out with you uh, out here in Southern California a couple weeks ago. It was fun to finally meet the guy behind... The famed Hall Ball.
1: Uh, it was great to meet you too. I had a, I had a blast with the folks at the Reliquary. Is a, a great getting a chance to finally meet all of them.
0: You know, it was funny. That really is, I think, as it turns out. And we'll talk a little bit more about it. But what what a wonderful place for that uh, for that ball. You know, when you really take a step back and look at it, and and the kind of organization they are, and what Terry Cannon brings to the table, I think everything does kind of work out in the end, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it. it, it like I said, and uh, uh, in the speech that I gave there, it really does seem to be the place where it was meant to come home to.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, Ruff. As far as the actual ball goes, a lot of people may not be aware. People that have followed the journey, people that have been part of the journey. You know, now that the journey is essentially complete, that you you checked all the boxes and you did what you set out to do. You've been working for a while on a book about the whole process and the whole journey. Now, right?
1: I have, I have. For uh, Facebook, just reminded me that I've been working on it for about seven years now. Facebook's really good at those.
0: Uh, <laughs> how much time has passed since we started working on stuff? Since we last did that thing, yeah. Well, seven years—that's something. I mean, as as one who—I mean, I know sort of what it, the time it takes to go into a book. That's actually a really long time. I mean, that's that's longer than most nonfiction history books. Talk a little bit about how what the shape the book is taking, and 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 you know how that feels because i know that's another part of the process and to make it's one thing to do what you did but then to go and make sense of what you did and add a narrative to it is a whole entirely different project right than, than the legwork in getting that ball in the hands of hall of famers or at the sites where hall of famers are laid to rest
1: yeah and it was it really was a process so the final Book that that is coming out is probably about the third version of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I had other approaches that I took to writing it very early on, and nothing was really clicking for me. Everything seemed to be a little hollow. And uh, I took a a trip, I believe it was uh, 2014. Um, I went to Texas um, to go and uh, take a photograph of the graves in Texas Mm -hmm. and I wrote that chapter almost immediately. I think I wrote it on the plane on the way home. And there was something about the way that chapter happened that I really liked. There was something about it that really was interesting to me in a way that none of the other stuff I had written really was. And so I I went back and I started sort of remodeling um, the structure of the book and the chapters to more closely resemble what that chapter was.
0: Hmm. You had one of those writer's breakthrough moments. Yeah, yeah, it really was uh, epiphonic, I suppose. Ruff, what did you learn about yourself? In writing the book, you know, kind of taking yourself out of the journey for a moment and looking at it objectively, writing about it, thinking about what those words were going to feel like. What did you learn about yourself in the project? Because, again, it's one thing to be in the middle of doing it, but then when you go ahead and document it officially – Sometimes you can get a different perspective, or just come at it from a different angle. What did you learn about the whole thing um, in writing the book?
1: Well, what I you know the the shorthand that I tell people is that when I started this project and and the book, um, I I was a, a baseball fan who knew some history, and um, I you know I the last well the project itself has been eight years. Um, it has been a my wife refers to it as my graduate program <laughs> um, it's been a it's been a crash course in um understanding the history of baseball every time i went to go and visit one of those graves, I made a point of researching who the person was that I was going to see. You know, there's 300, and I guess at this point, we have another, what, 329 guys in the Hall of Fame at this point? Um, And your average baseball fan can really only name, you know, if you were to sit there and say to them, name how many players are in the Hall of Fame, you're going to be lucky if you get 30 or 40 answers in response. There's a lot of guys in the Hall who were important players, uh, especially in their time, whose names have been a little bit, Lost, which was sort of the point of the project in the first place. So I had to go back and I had to learn who these people were, so that it made sense to me when I went and visited them. So the, the personal progression that's happened is that I've, I've sort of found a new focus in life. Uh, I, I'm professionally, I'm a, I, I work at Queen's College in Flushing. Uh, I'm a drama teacher. Um, but I, and I've been doing theater as, as a career for 25 years now. Um, but I, over the course of the project and and writing this book, and it is the first book I've ever written, I've always wanted to write a book in my life and I was never able to. And this is the first one I actually completed. Um, I I came to the realization that this is actually what I want to do when I grow up. (laughs) Um, you know, I want to be, I want to be a baseball historian. I want to take the pieces of baseball history and, and help weave them together and help shape that that narrative going forward and getting people to understand the role that history plays, not just in the game, uh and and, and I know this sounds a little uh, trite, but but in the history of this country. Uh and the no, the way really it is mirrored.
0: I don't think that's trite at all. Yeah. I think it's very valid.
1: It's it's mirrored our own the, the the growth of our country in in very clear and precise ways. And each time I find a new piece of that history and make that connection that's exciting to me that's I don't I don't there's very little else in my life that brings me that thrill as as making you know digging through a 110 year old newspaper and making that little discovery that puts the pieces together
0: That is an exciting spark when you, when you do find that clue or that piece of evidence because obviously there's a lot of detective work uh, that goes into this kind of writing and this kind of creation and there really is something. Uh, I know that feeling and you're right. It is uh, it's it's just so invigorating when you realize you may be the only person that knows that information all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. And when you're yeah, on the cusp of sharing it for me to share. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you know, that's the that's the teacher in me is,
1: you know, I've been working at the college here for 13 years. Um I taught high school for a few years before that. I've been a teacher for a long time. So that idea of making that discovery, of finding that knowledge, and then sharing it—that's, you know, that's a blast.
0: Ralph, when you were when you were tracking down uh, the Hall of Famers, the living Hall of Famers, to explain this to them were there some that you feel got the history of but I always kind of wonder when you talk to a former player or a current player does the history matter to them is it just a, is it a, just a job do they understand you know that what they're connected to were there some players that you you felt really understood intrinsically what you were doing and why you were doing it
1: there were there were certain players I think who um you know whether i i can't speak to what was going on in their head but whether or not they went as far as to thinking about the the history that ties us all together you know with alexander cartwright being the the earliest one in the hall of fame to you know to the modern guys whether there's anyone whose brain went in that direction there were certainly players who appreciated um what the project was and what i was attempting to do and uh um and the role that history does play in that. And I find, you know, the one that I keep coming back to, people always ask me who was my favorite one to photograph. And uh, the the one who engaged with me the most, um, who really talked to me, you know, for a lot of them, it was a 30-second interaction. I walked up, I gave them the ball, I told right. them what I was doing, I took the picture, said thank you, and moved on. Um, but some of them really wanted to engage. And the one who engaged with me the most was Ernie Banks. Um, Ernie really wanted to talk. He wanted to know about me and the project and to talk about you know what baseball meant to him um and i i i that interaction with him has has always stuck with me i think you know um outside of the hall ball if you look at uh sort of the what you get from the players, the, the former players, especially the hall of famers, when you're talking about things like veterans committees and who, who you know, uh, who, who participates in the veterans committees and stuff like that. Um, I, I personally find that the African American players tend to have a greater understanding and a greater appreciation of, of the history mm-hmm. um, because for them, that history, that thing that brought them into the major leagues was so much more recent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's possible you know, you, you've, you, there's a couple of guys that I photographed over the life of this project who were alive before Jackie broke the barrier. Right. Um, so for them, that history um, that, that brought them to that place, that brought them to the major leagues and ultimately Cooperstown, that's still fresh for them in a way that I think it isn't for other people.
0: Hmm. Interesting. That's a very interesting perspective. And it's, it's nice to hear that it was Ernie Banks. I mean, again, when you think of who were considered sort of the great ambassadors for the game, You know, in the last 50 years, there's a handful of guys that have always represented the game with such such dignity and passion and knowledge. And he certainly, um, you know, sits at the top of the list like that. So that's that's good to hear that he that he spent some time with you on this yeah he was he was one of the best. he was one of the best. In terms of you know visiting if, if fans want to see the ball at some point, what what in terms of what the visitation is is like in California, how will that work for people that actually want to go physically see it? Um, um, well, we're carrying right now it's at
1: the baseball reliquary where it will ultimately um, reside forevermore you know as long as the baseball reliquary exists anyway. Um, And I I believe that if you were to contact them, um, you would be able to make arrangements to see it. I will say um, that after the book comes out, uh, I am going to take the ball on kind of a little museum tour around the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've spoken to a couple of museums already, and I'm I'm working on contacting more. Um, But, you know, in the hopes of promoting the book and making people more uh, aware of the project and everything, uh, it's, it's going to take a little tour around the country. So once that's, great. uh, finalized, uh, I'll have a, I'll post a schedule on the, on the Hallball website and people will be able to see where it is so that if they can't make it out to like, California, um, they can keep an eye out for when it might be coming through their locale. Oh,
0: that's great. And as, as far as the book goes specifically, it is available for pre-order now, right?
1: Yes. Yep. Uh, it's published through McFarland. And uh, you can go directly to their website, you can go to Amazon, you can go to BNN.com. Um, there, there are a number of online uh, places where you can go and
0: get it. Yeah, and it's a good, always good to pre-order a book and let the publisher know there's interest and in sort of an audience waiting for it. So obviously every, every fan's encouraged to go uh, to go and do that. Well, where do you think this leads you now, Ralph? And you say you want to do more of this, you feel like you've bitten, been bitten by the bug, so to speak. Um, well, can you imagine another project like this that takes on, this has this many moving parts that might you know, speak to some deeper history that people haven't thought about before? Have you started thinking about what your next move might be uh, in terms of project?
1: I have a, a couple of different things that are uh, floating around right now. One of them... Um, relates to to Cuba. Um, one of the most rewarding parts of the entire project was uh, going to Cuba, which I had to do twice um, because the first time I went, um, I I was given some bad intel on on where a couple of the players were buried, um, and so uh, new information came new information came to light, uh, and I had to go back to Cuba uh, to shoot this again but um my i just love that country's passion for baseball Mm -hmm. um it is for them what it was for americans in the 1950s you know how it was still our game there was you know football and basketball were not providing any sort of competition for the for the claim of america's pastime um even uh in cuba even today while soccer is certainly gaining in popularity in cuba Uh, baseball is still their sport. And there's something about that passion that really appeals to me. So I have a a Cuba thought in mind, but I had a whole bunch of other things floating around, uh, including um, taking a look at Brooklyn's baseball. I live in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Uh, So taking a look at Brooklyn's baseball history outside of the Dodgers, Um, there's, you know, mountains and mountains of books that have been written about the Dodgers, but the history of baseball within the borough goes back so much farther than that and extends beyond that when the Dodgers left in 57. Um, so I'm, I, that was another idea uh, that I wanted to explore. And in the interest of paying off the credit card debt from all the travel on the Hall Ball, <laughs> <laughs> I decided to stick with the, with the Brooklyn one. So that's what I'm doing right now. is It's a much more traditional uh, history that I'm working on uh, than, than something like the Hall Ball book which, you know, uh, uh, the publicity material says it, it is part history. It's a part travelogue, It's a part photo essay. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of things going on within the hall ball, whether or not there's another, uh, artistic project beyond the writing of a book, uh, some other creative thing. I have some ideas, um, but nothing, nothing that's a finished plan just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm going to keep working on the Brooklyn book and we'll see what happens.
0: Do you remember the first game you ever went to as a kid? Yes. What was
1: it? Uh, the first the first professional game I ever went to uh, was an Albany Colony Yankees game. I grew up in Albany. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I saw them when they were – actually, it was even before Yankees was They were the Albany Colony A's at the time, before they were a Yankees affiliate. They were an athletics affiliate. The first prof- uh, a major league game I ever saw was in 1988 – uh, at Shea Stadium, I was a, a Mets fan, and Daryl Strawberry was sick that day, <laughs> uh, which was a disappointment to me, because I was a huge <laughs> Daryl fan. Um, they played uh, against Pirates, Barry Bonds was in that game, and um, Strawberry came in in I think the 7th inning to pinch hit, he had a stomach virus, they came in to pinch hit in the 7th, and hit a 2-run home run that ultimately ended up winning the game.
0: Wow, isn't it amazing yeah. how uh, how we remember those kinds of moments? And as we get older, and yeah. life takes over, and all different responsibilities, uh, that first game, those first moments—you you know, those eye-opening moments—we first go to games. I think those are forever tattooed in our brains. I really do. Um, For sure,
1: I, I I measure my life by what you know what was happening in baseball at that point. Yeah, no, I get it. It's how I keep track of
0: things. (laughs) No, I think think you're right that those kinds of markers are, are really important, and it sort of makes life easier, too, when you think about when you do measure it against your team or just what was happening in the majors. That is sort of a nice, easy framework to put on your life to kind of help make sense of it. You know, and I think, uh, to your point about baseball being so inextricably tied to culture and society and everything, it's it's not a bad way to go in terms of measuring the meaning of our life. You know it's I use it all the time. Yeah. I think it's a great yardstick.
1: yeah. It's, it's
0: definitely working for us. Are you still a Met fan now?
1: I am a Mets fan, although when people ask me uh, what my team is, I, I say that I, I'm a Mets fan, but I'm a baseball fan mm-hmm. primarily. uh, One of the reasons I got into baseball history oh so long ago was because, you know, as a Mets fan, usually by mid-July, your season's pretty much over with. Um, (laughs) So I um I, you know, I have such a passion and a love for it that I didn't want my season to be done by mid-July. I needed other things. Um, So I started studying the history of the game. Uh, So the answer I give people now is that, yes, I'm a Mets fan, but I'm a baseball fan. It doesn't bother me when the Mets lose, and I don't need them to be in the playoffs for it to be interesting to me. The story that each baseball season writes, is, is, an, is interesting enough for me. That That's what really matters to me.
0: See, that's why I was wondering, because I wondered, it's so nice to hear, because I think a project like you undertook with the Hall Ball, not just taking it around, but writing the book, it does, I think, sort of um, rewire your brain a little bit about the game beyond your own city and your own backyard. Um, a lot of times yeah. fans get so dialed into their own team that that's it, that everything hangs in that balance. But when you get out and do what you did, all of a sudden... You know, it's hard to not be, you know, impressed with all of these stories and not appreciate fans. And I think fans in other cities and just, you know, writers in other mm-hmm. cities and just the way other people mm-hmm. absorb and experience their own baseball. For sure. For you sure.
1: Know? And the way, you know, you the, the the stories of other organizations, you know, being from New York, uh, you know, I had my Mets and then, you know, it's a Yankee town. I'm, I'm inundated. With the Yankees, as is, you know, quite frankly, a, a lot of the rest of the country. That's what happens when you win 27 world championships. Um, and some of those other franchises, their stories get lost in all of the, the media babble. And I was able to, you know, in my research of these individual players, start learning more about the histories of some of the other franchises. And, and um, you know, that, that learning process was fascinating to me. Fascinating.
0: Was there a ballpark that you saw? I don't know if you were taking many games on your trip, but was there a park you experienced around the country, minor or major league, that, that opened your eyes or, or really impressed you?
1: I uh, I'm a fan of uh, PNC in Pittsburgh. I um I did uh, on the you know while I was out and about I tried um to uh go to games when they when you know when teams were in town. Sometimes that panned out. Sometimes it didn't. Um, but the, the park in Pittsburgh is just particularly the setting, uh, all of it. It's just something that's particularly um, appealing to me. Oh. Uh, when I was first there, um, you know, because uh, I also have a, a, a sincere interest in Negro Leagues, uh, and I do a lot of research in that in that realm. And when I was first there, they had this uh, great uh, setup in Pittsburgh uh, where they had a lot of, uh, about nine statues of some of the prominent. Uh, uh, figures from Negro league history, those have moved now to some controversy. They're located in other places around Pittsburgh. Um, But there was, you know, again, beyond the beauty of the park, there was that nod to history and the role that Pittsburgh plays in the Negro leagues. You know, it's probably second only to Kansas city in terms of the important role and importance of it in in, uh, Negro league history.
0: Well, listen, Ralph, Ralph, Carhartt is the is the author, historian, traveler, and baseball dreamer. The book is called "The Hall Ball: One Fan's Journey to Unite Cooperstown Immortals with a Single Baseball," and it comes out in January, right, Ralph, of two thousand twenty. That's uh that's the current that's the current goal. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that can change. <laughs> you share, know, but these it, things
1: change. Yeah, but early <laughs> but dead, early yeah, two thousand twenty. The
0: current date is January. But you yeah. can pre order it now. You can get your own copy reserve mm-hmm. right now at Amazon, BarnesandNoble wherever books are sold online, McFarland. And uh, I can't wait to read it. We'll have to check in again, Ralph, once the book's out. And we can kind of break it down for people because, again, its I'm really excited to hear what you did, how you processed and synthesized your journey into a personal narrative because it really is, it just sounds like such a fascinating uh, narrative and what you learned along the way. I'm sure you share a lot of things with people, a lot of emotions and a lot of stories and things. So it should be a wonderful baseball read to kick off next season. So congratulations in advance, man.
1: Thank you so much. I'm, I'm excited to share the story. It's been, um, uh, you know, it is a personal journey, um, but it is one that when I, when I tell other people about it, especially baseball fans, um, there's an eagerness, there's an excitement. I, I get a lot of, uh, the response I get often is, man, I wish I could have done something like that. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to share it with folks so that they can sort of see um, what the reality of, of a project like that is.
0: Excellent. Well, thanks for taking some time to chat today, Ralph, and we'll obviously follow up once the book is out. I can't wait to talk to you. And there you have it, my conversation with Ralph Carhart, author of the upcoming book, The Hall Ball, One Fan's Journey to Unite Cooperstown Immortals with a Single Baseball, and he certainly did that with his terrific project. My name is Chris Epting, author of the book Roadside Baseball, if you want to check that out. It's um, been doing well this summer. I've had a really good time out there on the road talking about it, especially up in Cooperstown. There's nothing like stepping into that theater, knowing who's been there before you to talk uh, amongst all of those amazing artifacts. So for those of you who are up there, I really appreciate it. It was great seeing you, and I look forward to being back up there again at some point in the future. In the meantime, my name is Chris Epping, and this has been Roadside Baseball, the podcast. This is Lindsay Nelson at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles, California, welcoming you to another doubleheader brought to you by Ryan.